0: To be like black and conscious means that you're in a perpetual state of rage. So it's like, what do you do with that? Okay, I have to go to, I have to go to Kmart. <laughs> I still have to go to the grocery store and get my snacks. I have to direct it in somewhere positive, but you don't have to. Some people, if you want to stab someone, I get it. <laughs> who, you like who am I to judge? First. I'm not a judge. Retweet, yeah. retweet. Just don't do it on camera. Um, I'm not endorsing stabbing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hello, everyone. This is Emily Radakowski, aka Emrata. Welcome back to another episode of High Low with Emrata. High Low is a podcast that consists of two episodes a week. The first episode will be a conversation with a guest. Second episode will be a solo episode entitled "Emrata asks," where I pose a question and we investigate it. There's also a third subscription episode called "Talk Back," which will be where we're in dialogue, continue the conversation with your thoughts, your anecdotes, your voice memos, and open it up. Today, I have my dear friend, an incredible comedian, performance artist. We're actually gonna talk about that today. Z-Way. I'm excited to have her on because Z-Way and I see each other a lot. We're very good friends and a lot of the time people are asking what the hell do you guys talk about and i think ziway is such a special person not only for what the world knows her for but just for her heart and the kind of friend she is and i'm hoping that today we get to see a little bit of that side of her and also understand how brilliant she is and what she's doing with her show on showtime Way, which premieres on november 18th all right let's get into it She's my neighbor. She's Sly's auntie and Pisces twin. She's my favorite comedian. One of my best friends, Barbie Court icon, and intellectual baddie. Welcome to Hilo Z Way. Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) I'm so happy you're here. I'm so excited to be here. This is going to be such a fun conversation.
1: This is really exciting because, you know, I did your show and it feels very full circle. It feels really exciting but leading up to it i was kind of nervous why were you nervous because i think i have so much respect for the persona that you've crafted and this caricature and this woman that people know as z-way and she is the visual she has her attitude and everything and then there's the z-way i know who um you know like comes over to my house over and like jumps on my couch <laughs> and i was trying to think about how to be respectful of the persona mm-hmm. while also giving people a glimpse into the z-way that i like adore and love mm-hmm. i want to talk about that sure. duality that relationship where was z-way that we've seen on first on instagram live baited and now on your incredible show which shout out november 18th yeah new season premieres. First episode is Michael Che and Julia Fox. So everyone should be really excited about that. How did that persona start? Where did she come from inside of you? What was she born of? Totally.
0: I think that I have been working through iterations of what is currently the Showtime version of that character, most recently on Instagram Live, but before that on YouTube. I started that web series the day that um, Hillary Clinton, the day after she lost the election in 2016 at this website and because I was just interviewing a bunch of my coworkers, and I thought it was so funny like the differences in conversation what do you mean it was a really homogenous workspace and so just as a black woman just being like what are you saying and then prior to that just a lifetime of being a black woman who exists outside and having people come up to me randomly and be like my black nanny is great and me being like, why would you bring that up? Like, why did you say that we're at a Wendy's? Like, what are you talking about? And so I find, I always wish that I had a camera in front of me for those really awkward interactions because they're so like laughably outrageous. And so finally I have that camera in front of people for those interactions.
1: You know, it's interesting. I feel like there's two things. There's the genesis of the show, but then there's also the genesis of the look of Z-Way, the Barbie core, the kind of like bimbo. There's something you said On Meghan Markle's podcast, you said, that's why I wear pink. That's why my character is so hyper feminine. It's because it sort of codifies the message of the show. I think it's like Barbie packaging and then you bite into the sandwich and it's barbed wire. Can you talk about that? Did you always dress like that in your life? I mean, how did that part of this persona and this character come to be?
0: Sure, I've always had an affinity for flamboyant dressing. Like I love marabou and velvet and like faux fur. I find it to be even what I'm wearing now is like this felt. Mm -hmm. So I've always had an affinity for that, but particularly in the show, when you think of it's like a deconstruction of media and late night and interviews. And typically late night is like dominated by men, all named James, who wear suits that are blue, black, or brown. Mm And when women break into the space, they're sort of, like, by choice or by mandate, they also wear suits. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it would be really interesting to assume that role and still pay homage to the hyper-feminine element of being a woman in the world. Wearing skirts and wearing dresses and, like, it being so distinctly the opposite of the hyper James-Jimmy late-night complex.
1: And is, I mean, it's sort of like this like soft, you're like packaging something really sweetly and also kind of inviting people to like write you off. I mean, I've watched you on other talk shows. Mm. I watched you on Trevor Noah's and you do this like kind of Barbie wave, beauty pageant. I wanna understand her. I wanna understand the Z way that the public knows Mm. and this character that you have created Mm. because it's also in her attitude, not just the way she dresses, right? Yeah. And it is about subverting expectations or i it is about subverting expectations
0: femininity is seen in like a derogatory way especially in intellectual spaces and you have to sort of codify that element of you and like put it away in a corner because you don't want to come off as too have a voice that's too shrill yeah. or not care about important things like football and basketball, because all the guys that are like rubbing elbows and existing in this fraternity care about that. There's something really derogatory about liking Real Housewives, even though that's like my version of sports. And it's something that has a big audience, but it's like lowbrow. And so for me, it's about like, how do you reclaim femininity? I remember growing up, I was a tomboy and I would, oh, my mother would try to put me in dresses and I would like refuse. I don't want to wear a dress. I want to be like the guys. But what I meant by that is like, I wanted to be liberated. <laughs> like Did you I just want to be free- taken seriously? Yeah, exactly. I, as a kid, when I was like, I don't want to wear dresses. I want to be like the guys and wear pants. It w- wasn't specifically about the pants. It was more about what pants offered which is liberation exactly to me pants was like okay boys get to do whatever they want they don't have to cook they don't have to clean they get to fart and sit with their legs open and that's okay whereas when as a young woman you're like over policed and so as i got older i started to embrace femininity from my like childhood and really appreciate the fact that it's like not a sign of weakness it's not a sign of stupidity it can be a sign of power
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and when did that shift happen how did that shift happen It was gradual, but it probably started happening in college. I think like the older you get, the more you realize that you are who you are and you don't need to adjust
1: yourself so much for like people's consumption. Mm -hmm. And so like- And you were like, I like pink. Or was it a choice to say, I like pink and that's because I want to make a I want to like bring pink. femininity to,
0: yeah. Yeah, I like pink. It's I don't know if it's my favorite color, but maybe I should say it is. It right. is for my brand. I like the color pink, but it's more so that p- pink represents girl. Yeah. What does it mean to be a girl in like the media space, mm-hmm. right? Like you're hypersexualized. You're not really
1: valued for your intellect. What I like about what you're saying is I feel like you're doing two things at the same time. You're almost playing into the way that people want to see a woman, right? Which is sexualized, pretty. We've talked about that before, looking pretty on camera and how that's important. For people to understand what you're trying to do and even pay attention, you kind of have to present yourself in a certain way and like have a snatched waistline and the right eye makeup and whatever. So you you know the game, you recognize it and you're like, that's great. But also you're kind of doing some kind of performance art around femininity and the assumptions we have about yeah. smart women.
0: You know, people always used to refer to me as a performance artist when I was first starting. And I found, I hated it. I thought it was so insulting. Like I'm not a performance artist, I'm a comedian. You know, I need to be taken seriously as a clown. But now the older I get, the more I realize like this is a version of drag that I'm mm-hmm. doing. But it's, I think of like Colbert Rapport, right? He's doing the, what is it, Bill O'Reilly character, like hyper Americana. Yeah. And so I'm doing the hyper feminine version of a daytime talk show host. It's extremist mm-hmm. almost. It's like the set isn't just a little pink, it's like be, it's like laughably pink to the point where in color correction sessions, where like my eyes look like they're pink. Because there's so much, because the, right. the pink is reflecting on my body,
1: mm-hmm. like
0: <laughs> I, you know, I'm. Con- I say gugu goo, goo, gaga, like a cute
1: little baby. Yeah, it's wild.
0: And but that's that's again, it's like it's all sort of like a satire hyperbole of what it means to be a woman in the public sphere.
1: Yeah, it's just interesting how that actually hits because it's so intentional, which, by the way, that's the other thing that I really love about you. And I have learned this about comedians in general, but I think that you specifically, you are very mastermind a la the Taylor Swift song. Have you listened to it? I'm loving Taylor Swift right now. I'm loving Taylor Swift. You already know. Yeah. um, Just for revenge. That line. Wow. Actually, a woman came up to me last night and was like, "You have to make a TikTok to that song. It's good specifically. Maybe we yeah. should make that today.
0: Yeah, maybe I'm not really good at the the transitions on
1: TikTok. You know that I love to do the editing for you. It's true. That's <laughs> I'll, send you, do. I'll send you. I'll send you some send clips it and resources. Well, I want to get back to the genesis of the show a little bit more because I think that's really interesting, too. There's the caricature, but then there's also just the content of the show and those uncomfortable conversations. And I know you went to boarding school. You went to Andover. Yeah, I went to boarding school. And we've talked about that a lot privately, but you don't really talk about that so much publicly. Would you would you want to talk about that experience today? Sure, but okay. it's
0: more like what kind of loser talks about high school all the time? Well, Grow I, up, dude.
1: I think that it's your villain <laughs> it's your, formative your villain origin story. My villain origin story? Have you heard that before? Please explain. Have you heard it? No, the term. Oh, I've heard okay. it from
0: like Marvel when peter parker sees that guy and he's like i'm not gonna help him and then he ends up shooting uncle ben so now that's the where phrase has
1: been kind of reused in a way where the villain it's kind of amazing right mm-hmm. it's like how did this amazing character come to be how did the joker become the joker how did poison ivy become poison ivy mm-hmm. and i'm thinking about you in your essentially superhero costume as this like hyper feminine talk show host and revealing a lot of interesting dynamics and things about politics in our world. I want to know how that person came to be. If you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to, obviously. I would say
0: my villain origin story starts with high school. I think it starts with prior, I think it starts like early ages. Mm -hmm. If you come out of your mother's womb and you open your eyes, you experience racial constructs, (laughs) like against your will. Like who wants to, but your babies do, right? Like So it's not that it happened at 14, my life changed. It was more so that like, Every single stage of my life has expanded my understanding of, like, American culture. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up in this immigrant city in, like, Massachusetts. And then you go to boarding school, which is, like, super deeply homogenous. And you go from having, like, a student body that's a majority Dominican to, like, Mm -hmm. not that. And so you just constantly are shifting your perspective. I went from New England, and then I moved to Chicago. And then suddenly you have a different perspective of, like, okay, everyone's a little passive-aggressive over here. Like, Mm -hmm. what's that going on? So it's, like, my character is created from the adjustments I've made moving through life. And the character constantly shifts because 2016 is slightly different than 2020, which is slightly different than 2022. and. The show has kind of been consistent in its subject matter, but it popped off in 2020 because it aligned with the national
1: discourse. Of course. Yeah. Well, I actually, I think it is interesting that the show started after Hillary lost the election. Yeah. Because I read something that you said, you were talking about being in college when Obama was president and people were kind of in this like, it's a post-racist world. Yeah. Which is... Insane to think about now. But I do remember that conversation happening. We have a black man for president. Everything's different now.
0: What a weird experience. Look, like, we have lived through so many watershed moments. I am tired of the watershedding. Mm. And so I remember an 08 Obama won, and then you, you have this moment where it's like racism is dead and then every headline about him were like that evil devil wearing that tan suit wants to kill babies it's like oh my god this is so overwhelming and also as a teenager I didn't really have the vocabulary to process what's happening to me right. if racism is happening to me if like and I'm being treated differently or, or like how to defend myself or anything right. don't you just like I guess I am wrong I guess. Racism is over. I guess Boston is the
1: home of peace, love, and were those the conversations that were happening in your school and your education? You were in high school, right, when Obama was elected, and then you were in college. So, was that the tone of kind of every of your peers? Was there this this feeling of like your experiences aren't real?
0: I don't think I felt my experiences were real until I studied like, African-American studies in college wow. and suddenly had this understanding that's like, freedom riders. you mean to tell me they rode on this bus and they got beat up because they'd go to like, these diners and try to sit in like these segregated places? I just had no idea what that stuff was. You just read. And I read so much mm-hmm. that I had an understanding of what America was that was, was not in line with how I was educated prior. So your question, which was like, "Did you think that they?" this is how everyone was talking? I feel like that was national discourse. Mm-hmm. National discourse in 2008 was, wow, yes, we can. Yes, we can push the boundaries of American society and do this monumental thing with this monumental person. And this will change us forever. And it did change us forever. And we're watching like a sort of backlash that. <laughs> well, Trump, obviously, but yeah. now it's continued as well. Yeah, it's like it's only gotten more fervor. It's yeah. really intense. Sure, that was my high school experience, but I also am from Massachusetts, where in Massachusetts you're told, I don't know if you've heard about this thing called the Confederacy, but those guys, terrible. Union baddies. And so you're left being like, wow, we did it? the, the, right, the underground railroad. Right, oh, oh, right. You know, like it's, it's beyond, but it's this like constant History is written by the victors. Right. And so you read history books and you have really no comprehension for the full story. And you only after interrogation do you understand that the world is not a perfect
1: place. We will be right back after this break with Z-Way. Stay tuned for more High Low with Radden. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. So a lot of your sort of awakening happened in college.
0: Definitely. My my awakening happened in college. Absolutely. Yeah, because that's when I discovered African-American studies as a subject matter mm-hmm. by doing a bunch of majors and being like, oh, I'm not interested in this. Oh, I'm not interested in this, right. but I love
1: history. Right. Okay. And, th- and that that was something that I could read endlessly. And then how did you know that you wanted to make things about race and make and have these conversations and also do comedy. I know you were writing comedy. Where did that kind of come together for you?
0: There's no moment in life that is like a light switch for me. Like everything is gradual and process. And so how I came to having comedy that's about race, it's so hard to describe because let's go back to 2020, Instagram Live. That's what sold my show basically every single comedian and their mom was like going live on ig live during that period and so i wanted to go live too and i didn't know what to do live but i did live shows in brooklyn and we did like musical songs and i did that and they were floppy on us okay what is like a low production easy thing to do on a consistent basis that's a show that i can do what if i interview people and ask them questions okay what questions am i going to ask them uh, i've run out of questions i don't know how many black friends do you have and that It took off, but that wasn't me intentionally thinking, okay, I know a question that's really going to freak him. How many black people, you know? And so if you're going even before that, how did I come to the place where I'm like, my comedy is about race? It's not all about race. I'm still a working writer. Like I'm writing a bunch of movies right now that have nothing to do with race. I've worked on Dickinson. That's not like a race show. But conversely, like with this interview that I'm doing, it's just what, is interesting for me to talk about, Mm -hmm. that I can talk about endlessly, that's interesting. And that is something that I found over time. I was like a big fan of Between Two Ferns Mm -hmm. and Eric Andre show Mm -hmm. and Colbert Report. What I liked about those two previous shows is that they were so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed from a lifetime of being a black woman is race makes people deeply uncomfortable. And what I learned from Colbert Report was you can say anything you want if you're funny. I watched him do the White House Correspondents' Dinner, where he was joking about shooting someone in the face in front of the president, and I thought, "Oh my goodness gracious! Like, you're allowed to say that? Like, satire—the power of satire, you know?
1: It's very powerful. It's and very you've powerful. mastered.
0: It. That was me combining a bunch of things that I liked into like a soup, um, and with race being a big ingredient because I, I, this is my identity.
1: It's funny. I just am remembering thinking about. Just back to the the look of the show, because I do think that's so brilliant and I'm fascinated by it. You were doing the eyeliner, like yes. little bit of color eyeliner, but you hadn't leaned into the Barbie core yeah. yet.
0: No, because honestly, I was producing that show in my Bushwick apartment mm-hmm. and I had the makeup that was in my house. I used to write to be like a beauty journalist. So I'd makeup in my house from then and then I had the clothes I had in my house from yeah. whatever.
1: When you started doing Baited and the Instagram Lives, did you think, holy shit, I have something? Or was it a slower, gradual thing? It's build? like a slower, gradual yeah.
0: thing. And I almost stopped doing it because the George Floyd protest started and I felt like, oh, is it insensitive to do anything yeah. in the midst of this sort of national global tragedy? Mm-hmm. And my friend convinced me to just keep doing The Interviews Hunter, who's actually the showrunner of my show. But I like, I'm a producer. I've been working in live shows For 10 years. So I know how to produce a good show. Like my pop shows were always popping. And so I booked Caroline Calloway, and that was like a good interview. And then it's like, okay, I'm booking the show myself. Who am I DMing? Like, what's going on in Discourse? Okay, Alison Roman, I'll book her. She says, yes, great, amazing, thanks. And who's else? Okay, Rose McGowan. Okay, I'll. Alyssa Milano. But Mm -hmm. I was like, I was talent producing. So I had an understanding of what these consecutive guests would add to the conversation. But I didn't know that the thing that I had been doing for years would suddenly meet the moment, or I guess the moment would meet it.
1: This brings me to another thing that I really admire about you. I've seen you do live shows. I've been on your set. We talk a lot about work and how to manage and how to be a producer of of the show, literally, but also just a producer of your career. Yeah. And you are so good at it. I think- it's something I, I really admire about you. You're great at delegating. You're great at asking for you for what you want, for saying what you want. And as a white woman, that's something I struggle with. I am curious. What-, what you want? Yeah. Mm-hmm yeah yeah even just honestly figuring out what i want and then saying it and even when i know i have this is my show this is my thing like i should be doing whatever i want to know have you where did that come from and how why are you so good at that how are you so good at that teach me your ways time time you know i people always ask me that
0: and i wish the best answer is just i don't feel like i'm good at it it took a really long time Mm. i think i've been really lucky enough to see people in power who are really inconsequential (laughs) and that has given me the confidence to know that if they can do it I can do it too truly so it's being being able to be behind the curtain and see okay this is how things are made a chaos no one knows what they're doing and that's something you realize especially the older you get is like everyone's kind of making it up so that has allowed me to make it up as well.
1: And not feel bad
0: about advocating
1: feel, for what you want. And I not- feel
0: guilt about advocating for what I want, but I'm not gonna not advocate for what I want because Joe over here is gonna get it for free. Yeah. You know, he won't even have to advocate and he gets the gig. So it's like I have to be really tenacious. So you basically have to, do it because you're out of survival. A gender non confirming person that exists is to be constantly like bombarded with the fact that you are other, you are different, and you're not good enough. And what I like to do is I like to say, wow, that really hurts my feelings. And then I like to say, I'm going to do it anyway and really push forward. So that's been really my main, That's that's my practice. But I wouldn't say like, I wake up every day and I'm like, I'm so confident. Right. Everyone loves me. I've never been so strong. Like that's not, a realistic painting of who I am, but I don't let like external opinions like that like mess with me because people really tried it. Whew. when I was first coming up, the things that people would say to me haters, you meet haters and what haters would they will, say? they would just be like, I remember this one I had this one improv teacher who was like, you asked too many questions. And then he also said that I don't react in a way that was normal. And famously, I'm famous for my questions and the way I react to them. People don't know what they're talking about, right? If they knew what was going to be hot next, they would make it hot next, right? And so it's like, and even with my interview show that started like 2016, what was wild about that is that it was a flop. Like oh yeah you know I had the golden ticket I figured it out it was a flop no one watched it, it had 200 subscribers I was at a loss like 2,000 bucks when I didn't have 2,000 bucks to be you know spending on like shooting videos and I just sort of remained steadfast and believed in myself because I was. Creating art that entertained me first and foremost, and that's the trap that a lot of young creators fall into, is that they're like seeing like what's hot, but you have no idea like what's behind the curtain, why they made it, if it's actually good, mm-hmm. if it'd actually be good in five years. But I get a lot of pride knowing that the work that I created, that they're dropping on TikTok from 2016, and it gets seven million views. Yeah. That's weird because I thought it sucked. <laughs> I thought it was terrible. You talk about this yeah. all
1: the time, where you're like, you you just don't know, you so just you just have know. to do what you think is great and yeah. stick to your own POV, and then you produce something interesting and at least consistent, Yeah, I know you to be a sensitive person. So that's why I, when I watch you in this mode, I'm so impressed, is because I know that it isn't just an easy, like, oh, I'm just so confident, whatever. You're actually so good. You were on Meghan Markle's podcast talking about anger, and I'm fascinated by anger and female rage, and obviously there you're talking about this awful trope of black female rage what i've seen is you take your anger and your sensitivity and you turn it into art (laughs) you intellectualize it and you have a new thought just as your friend like even when just something in the news comes up and you're angry about it you're like okay well this is what this means to me and this is then then you take your original thought around that thing and you turn it into a joke which is so Amazing. I don't know. I just think it's a really incredible process that you go through. And I wonder if that's something that. Has always has always been a way you process your anger or it's yeah. very justified anger.
0: I think laughter is a trauma response. My friend Hunter says that. That's how I cope with things that are sad is I laugh. I don't want to deal with being upset. I would Or rather, you leave. I laugh or I leave and I will leave. I'll walk up out of that room. Mm-hmm. And so Or yeah. you say dark energy. I say, yeah, 3, and 000. I mean it. if it's
1: a dark energy, I will say it. She'll be like dark energy, dark energy, dark energy, and then just bails. And I'm like, okay, great. Thanks so much. As a Pisces, I can not afford to take on that
0: emotional weight, but that's how I process the world, is through laughter. Because the world, life is suffering, one. And then two, every year of my life, I've learned so much about myself and so much about the world I can't get on any sort of soapbox and be like, this is the way the world should be. Mm -hmm. Like, I just can't. And so, but laughter and making jokes about it allows me to understand my POV and like, what is funny about that POV? And like, how do, do I process it versus how do other people process? And so what's interesting about my show is an interview like Michael Che or Julia Fox. You'll hear quotes and you'll have... People of any background will have different reactions to it. Mm -hmm. Like with the Chet Hanks interview, like some people were like, I'm so proud of him for not apologizing. And other people were like, I can't believe he did that accent. And it's like you're watching the same episode and people feel strongly about it in opposite directions. Mm -hmm. And so like my comedy, my work is meant to evoke thought. Totally. And so I think that the jokes help people feel like they're not judged because I cannot judge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can only judge myself.
1: Yeah, it also just makes me really, again, kind of double down on the idea that you are a performance artist just because you're taking emotion and you're turning it into something, which I think a lot of comedians do. But because so much of your emotions around these experiences are personal, it feels like art to me in a different in a yeah. different way than a lot of comedy is.
0: It's two things, right? Because on the one hand, it's like, OK, to be like black and conscious means that you're in a perpetual state of rage. So it's like, what do you do with that? OK, I have to go to I have to go to Kmart. I still have to go to the grocery store and get my snacks. I have to direct it in somewhere positive. But you don't have to. Some people, if you want to stab someone, I get it. <laughs> who, like, who am I a judge? First. I'm not a judge. Retweet, yeah. retweet. Just don't do it on camera. I'm not endorsing stabbing.
1: We'll be right back after this break. <laughs> Stay tuned for more High Low with Radden. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. I want to talk about our friendship. Sure. This is something you brought up to me a couple months ago. Oh, yes. In Paris. In Paris. Yeah. Because people know we're friends, and we, you know, sometimes when we do press and whatever, we're also neighbors. Mm-hmm. And when we do press, People will say things like, so what do you guys, like, what do you guys do? What we do you talk, talk about? about? Yeah, I get that a lot. And you brought it up to me and you're like, why is this a thing? Why do people always ask me what the what we talk about? What do they think? And my first reaction was I felt embarrassed and like ashamed. Like, oh, they, they just like, how oh, really? could you be friends with a little bit? That's why wow. I didn't dive in right away. Yeah, that's why I didn't dive in. We didn't I did talk about that. I not know that. Hmm. Yeah, because I was like, oh, well, they just are surprised. They think I'm not smart enough or something, wow. maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Your um, book. Thanks, girl. It's a good book. Hey, that's how we became friends. Yeah, Yeah, you came, you read my book. Yeah, I thought it's a good book. I thought Anne it was a good book. was, by the way, the number one promoter of my book. I sold that book. She sold that damn book. The first time we went to dinner together, there was <laughs> Tell the story. <laughs> this is my no, favorite tell the story. <laughs> it's a wild story this man approached us who might listen but he was he came up and he asked to take a picture and you were like you can take her picture but you need to buy 40 40 copies of her book no that's
0: not what happened
1: it was he he was like
0: you take a picture I'm like buy a book oh and then and then he was like I'll buy 10 and then I said buy 40. Like Flexionist. you specifically
1: said 40. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then what happened is he was like, oh, okay, he got really excited basically because yeah. he was like, this is amazing, they're engaging with me, whatever and the thing that was so painful is that you can only buy 30 books on amazon so we had to watch him check out with 30 then go back then check out with 10 but he did get his picture and you sold 40 books for me which it was in the pre-sale days and that's what counts the new york times bestseller list so it's really important okay shout out so thank you so much okay so when if i
0: if i when i release my book you have we have to go to the club Mm -hmm. and we have to get the cuties i will get a
1: banner yeah get get a cutie to get a book bottle service (laughs) we're at lavo talking
0: Book. Book. 40 books. <laughs> do you have a title for your book yet it's called the book of z-way right now mm. so n- yes that's okay. the title for now so I don't i'm know just what it's picturing
1: that yeah in sparklers book of z-way bitch. And we're, we're wearing like z-way. playboy bunny ears yes, yes. yeah hot. yeah we should have Subver- subverting halloween. culture we we should have done that for halloween it's okay next year anyway <laughs> about people being like what do we talk about and yeah. you had a hot take the hot take was yours and I, yes, and did. Okay. Because the the take is
0: like, we have such extreme POVs in the public space that someone will see you and think, okay, this is a supermodel. What, she talks about linen. And then someone can see me and think this is this radical and all she talks about is Foucault. Mm-hmm. And so, and that was like the disconnect, right? Yeah. Like our stereotypes, our archetypes are like at odds with each other mm-hmm. fundamentally. But that, you pitched that.
1: But then I think we realized that it's very insulting for both of us, essentially, right? And that's where I thought you had a really interesting point. You went a level deeper.
0: I think that to be in public, at least I can speak for my career, right? Like there's a level of projection I am constantly fielding. I think I talked about this on Meghan Markle's podcast where if I say to someone like, may I have a drink of water. They're like, this Harpy punched me for agua. And it's like like I have to be really careful with my tone so as not to convey any emotion other than serene delight.
1: I mean you keep a happy face on sometimes even when you're pissed. I've seen you.
0: Because it is so easy to get a reputation as being evil mm-hmm. or difficult and when you're really asking for like the bare minimum of what spencer george 14 uh, would ask for right and
1: he would like w- like throw his phone at you too and people would think it like is sexy and powerful yeah that, it's like he, he did it he, yeah. you know Nicki
0: minaj has a quote about it where she says like he b- bought when nick when lil wayne asked for the things he's bossed up but when i complain i get the pickle juice and she like mm. leaves a she leaves like a photo shoot or something like that and so I really try to not lead with that projection so I can like get to the point. Toni Morrison talks about how the most annoying thing about racism is the fact that it wastes your time. You're not starting at one, you're starting at negative 10 because you're just convincing people that you're you're of value. You firstly have to get to the place where you're of value, You have to get to the place where you're good enough to write, good enough to act, good enough to whatever, good enough to do accounting. And then you have to convince people to open the door for you. And so... For me, part of being like a front-facing woman performer that's Black is that Uh, And there's also there's a lore around me is scary that I hog tie my guests to the set and put a camera in their face and make them answer questions when that's obviously not the case. They're consenting adults, but that's the perception. And so to. Well, people say that to me back to kind of what we were just talking
1: about. They'll always be like, she scares me. Like, what's she like? Yeah.
0: And as if I I punch people. And so I, I have to, like, work against that constantly. And even though I work against it, it's still not enough.
1: Ugh, I think about what that Toni Morrison quote is amazing. I'd actually never heard that before. Oh, that's a Toni. Time is so valuable. Yeah. There's this um, really amazing book called This Life, Martin Haglin, this um, Marxist philosopher, who basically is like the most valuable thing in life is our time. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that is the ultimate capital, is yeah. time. So thinking about how that capital gets wasted on proving yourself, on on the energy that being other, right, yeah. perceived as other takes is awful it's it's not what i would call ideal right (laughs) it's not you'd rather it be different
0: it's it is survival a lot of my skills are purely survival
1: yeah yeah it's interesting to realize that though because you you are producing things that aren't just it doesn't feel like you're just surviving it seems like you're thriving i'm flourishing but it's interesting to realize that so much of the root of your work is about survival
0: because my work is for me and like, I'm really, really fortunate that there are people in this world that find it entertaining and enjoy it. But fundamentally, it is to heal the wounds that I have. It is to tickle the funny bones that I have. It is to open the doors
1: that I want yeah, to open. Yeah, because there's a lot of stuff I always try to push you after like a couple glasses of wine. I know,
0: you really do. We should talk about that. Do you want to talk about that? Sure, you ask me about it. Okay, so a source of our biggest contention between us would be that you your direction pitches for my show. You could think the show could be more aggressive
1: I want you to lean in and you say, easy for you to say, you white bitch. What, yeah, exactly. Because what does lean in look to you and how is it not leaned in? No, I just think that, you know, when you, when you went from into showtime and you, I mean, I, one of the questions I do want to get to is sort of like what your master plan is and yeah. what you want to do. Because I think a lot of people underestimate your goals a lot of the time and you are planning on taking over the world. but the tone changed a little bit, mm-hmm. obviously, which I think was for a multitude of reasons. Um, and you keep saying to me like, girl, I have to book guess. <laughs> I need to book guess. Yeah. And you're fighting against all of these stereotypes and you're doing all this thing and I'm like, Lean in, lean in, do it more because I want you to have the most popping viral moments. Yeah. But at what cost? At and, what cost? And I know. Yeah. I, I understand it. Just, you know, when we talk about it, I'm like, well, I want you to, I want all the viral moments. So, yeah. you know. There's so many elements to that conversation because it's like, on the one
0: hand, like, this is a comedy show with really high expectations right because it's like functioning as a journalism show this is an interview show and it also is supposed to make you feel laughter but it also needs catharsis to relieve the tension because otherwise it doesn't work in writing, it doesn't yeah. work if it doesn't like come to a conclusion that feels like cathartic. So that's one element, which is just like, how do you artistically make this kind of show? But then there's the all the other element, which is I am not an
1: aggressive person. No, you're not. I'm not, and so it's like you're people, actually so not aggressive. I'm really not aggressive. Even just being out with you, sometimes I wish you were more aggressive. Yeah, but I get painted as aggressive. I too, know,
0: but I'm not aggressive.
1: And all the interviews and press that I was watching to prep for this, because I hadn't seen all of it, yeah. obviously that's like the number one question that they go to is kind of like, ooh, spooky Z-Way, yeah. like spooky, spooky. Even if they're joking, there's this kind of feeling of you're so aggressive, should we talk about your aggression? Yeah,
0: it's like a, a stereotype. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, does Howard Stern get called aggressive like that? No, he does doesn't. And Nathan Fielder I mean, get called aggressive. aggressive?
1: Howard Stern is aggressive, yeah. yeah. You've, you've been interviewed with him? I have, but I've also just watched past interviews yeah. and the way he words things can be it's just aggressive. It's not even passive aggressive, it's just aggressive. And it's pretty shocking to watch.
0: My interviews also come from the schoolhouse of the Oprah Winfrey Industrial Complex, the Howard Stern Industrial Complex, and the Andy Cohen Industrial Complex. You watch those shows, their interviews are really to the point and really get you like interesting information that you could not hear anywhere else. And so if I'm talking to Charlemagne, Fran Lebowitz, Andrew Yang, Phoebe Bridges, Emrata, Julia Fox, Michael Che, if you're talking to these people, these people have all been interviewed ad nauseum. They have said all that there is to say. So you have to find interesting points that feel new and fresh and don't feel like a redundant interview, right? And so my comedy uses aggression as like a source of fodder, but to be at 10, the whole time to me it's not a dynamic performance
1: well what's interesting about it is you are the person who said to me like i just pose questions people don't have to answer them no and it's um and that was my tactic on your show i was just like i would never answer that question so they were so mad they were so mad yeah but for me it was like well that's you know i'm here on the show i'm gonna promote the show i I love what you're doing but yeah i'm not going to answer that fucked up question what i like so much about the tension on the show is the obligation people feel to answer the questions yeah that is the most interesting part for me
0: it's really really weird but and it's consistent of before my life in interviews right because All my life, you've seen this in public. People will come up to me and say really weird stuff, weird stuff. One time we were at the club and this person came up to me and said, I don't listen to
1: Michael Jackson. And I was like, no, no, that was insane. We just had met her. We were having a conversation in general. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, she was like, you know, I don't listen to Michael Jackson and looked at you like she wanted you to. To I don't give know for something. I don't to know validate something. Yeah. It was bizarre.
0: And so I get if you can imagine every hour of every day I get a confession. Mm. And that's just not since after the show. All my life every day I'll get a confession what about that? their gracious complaints like, I can't are... tell you what my magic is. Uh, maybe it's the fact that I'm I listen. Like I'm a listener.
1: There's nothing But wrong. isn't it interesting? It's like they don't even need you to actually say anything to them. Just the existence of your thought patterns and how you your POV makes them aware of their racism. You think that that's what they th- I think that happens. Sometimes it's like when you play somebody your music yeah. for the first time and you hear it from their perspective and you're yeah. like, "Oh, that's exactly what is the song is actually being perceived as or mm. what it's all about." I feel like it's almost like your POV does that to people and I think it's and then they start they cut themselves open it's totally projection
0: yes yeah it's not about me in that space it's about how they perceive that i would react yeah yeah so again back to the aggressiveness it's like be more aggressive i breathe and people sense aggression I, I could kiss a baby on the forehead and, and high five a nun and people would say I was aggressive. So it's like all I can do consistently is be myself. Even when you say please and thank you, people think you're aggressive. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's more comedic to me to just like exist in the space that I want to exist in and I will get exactly what, what what people give and that I find to be interesting.
1: I mean, you suck your thumb and go, cuckoo Yeah. How many black friends do you have? Yeah. Like it's <laughs>
0: yeah. just that's like I think that that's that's enough Mm -hmm. totally
1: okay so we're coming to the end of our interview and one thing I know about you is that you have an arsenal of quotes we got a couple today oh gosh you do you have so many good ones but I also I think you really study people people that you look up to and you take parts of their career and who they are and you emulate and you learn what are the big goals what's the long-term plan for z-way and Who do you hope to emulate and which parts?
0: I hope to be Halliburton's first influencer. And I'm looking forward to emulating my icon, Condoleezza Rice.
1: I know you're not kidding. (laughs)
0: Mortar. We were we were in the same honor society. She's like slightly older than me, but
1: she, I didn't know that. Yeah,
0: mortar, mortar. It's called motor,
1: more mortar. Mod- so tar, but it sounds like motorboard, motorboard honor society. society know some like Illuminati shit. That's another thing that people don't know. It's about you. true,
0: goo Gaga. You have
1: taught me so much about the <laughs> Illuminati. I swear to God. Honestly, it's all from just like listening to the Daily, be- <laughs> being like, oh, that's not that- true. That's all. This is some boarding school shit.
0: No, I think it's just that I read
1: nonfiction and you read fiction um mm, no i read on, almost not only nonfiction now. now really? but you do read a lot of I read celeb lot of, memoirs i shit, love a celeb I memoir yeah i yeah. love a celeb memoir
0: um born standing up
1: that's steve martin really good some No, you no, you listen you read all of them <laughs> you'll be good. like have you read their book and i'm like absolutely if i, not. If I interview that was published a guest in 1997 like no I. if didn't I, read I interview it. a guest yeah. i will read your book yeah
0: i will read your book you got how are you going to talk to someone and not read their book
1: People do it all the time. I know is. I've, and they I've sound gone on to goofy. so many shows and realized like ten minutes in that they have no idea. They haven't read my book and they have no none of their own conclusions. I Whatever. think it's a sign of respect. Yeah, to read to read the book. Yeah. yeah. Look look up the work. Yeah. So there was another world where we would do an episode where because you gave a quote when somebody asked about what we do as friends. Oh yeah. You said, <laughs> um, actually your publicist called and she said, "Zoe wanted you to know that the things she and Emily do together, she pauses, she wanted you to know that they also talk shit. So I just thought there was this, we could have done an entire episode where we would have just done shit talking. Like it would have been like rapid fire. And I honestly want to do it. We could have done, just the things we talked about, like yeah. Drake's questionable lyrics on his new oh, album. Oh, gosh, I mean. We could talk about the kind of sex we like after long days of being bosses in our lives. We could talk about VCs. VCs. Oh, yes. Yeah, my venture capital pivot. So next time you come on, are you down? Yeah, I'm. I'm ready to talk shit. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. I Thank really appreciate it. Me. It was always amazing. I love This is
0: it. so fun. And I'm so excited to listen to High Low on Spotify and
1: wherever you find your podcasts. She's so good at promoting me. It's crazy. We'll be in the streets and somebody will ask for a picture and Z-Way's like, have you bought her book? Do you know that she's a best-selling New York Times author? And these, like, 16-year-old kids are like, no. <laughs> well, it's my turn to promote you. Your new season comes out. I think it's going to be the best season of oh, Z-Way. It premieres on November 18th on Showtime. All right, thanks for coming in. Woo, thanks for having me. That was my dear friend, incredible comedian, Pisces Queen, as she refers to herself, as she loves to bring up that she's a Pisces, Z-Way. Subscribe and listen weekly on Amazon Music, and you can even listen on your Amazon Alexa simply by saying, Alexa, play the podcast High Low with Emrata on Amazon Music. So I want to hear from you about our conversation today. We covered a lot of topics. I think most interests, I mean, there's a, a lot we talked about, but things that I was of excited about from our conversation the way that global attitudes and national attitudes just in the last 10 years have changed so much around race and how z-way has her own evolution around how she talks about race and why the show works in this particular moment and how the show changes so frequently to adjust to those changing attitudes around race given what's happening politically in a moment i think talking about rage and turning rage into something productive. I think that Toni Morrison quote is gonna stay with me for a long time. I wanna hear all your thoughts and responses. Even, you know, people love to talk about our friendship. Share your thoughts on why people are always asking what we talk about and why we're friends. Go to highlow.fm to submit your voice notes, anecdotes, thoughts, feelings, all that. Also DM me at Emrata and subscribe to Talk Back. That's a subscription episode where I play those voice notes and we continue the conversation. Look for Emrata Asks on Thursday. This is going to be a good episode. And thanks as always for listening. Hello, with Rada is a sony music entertainment bitch era media and something else production produced by chelsea jacobson our executive producers are me emily radikowski and sarita wesley our senior producer is medina parwana and our associate producer is rachel choder today's episode was engineered by samantha gatsik with original music by the crystal pharaoh thanks for listening